Welcome back to the Longview Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and the Longview is a podcast on SB Nation's Grizzly Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, the 3ND Podcast, the Core 4 Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. So wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. I swear you won't find many people cover the organization like the like GBB does. We have game previews, multiple game recaps. We have features. We have stat dives, columns, uh, Memphis hustle coverage from Brandon Abraham, Grizz gaming coverage from Brendan Smart. We really try to tackle it all. And one guy that helps us do that is one of our guests right now he is a senior staff writer over at gbb and he is the host of the locked on grizzlies podcast he is also a writer for talking chop the sp nation of the world series champion atlanta braves it's none other than sean coleman stats sac sean how are you doing man gbb has a nathan chester like, of all things that we need to promote, GBB has a Nathan Chester. That's what I want to promote. I'm just kidding. I love Nathan. I have to sit there. And, yeah, I have to sit there and give him props whenever I can. Hey, it's a pleasure to be with you, Parker. And, and I love how you say it. The 2021 world champion Atlanta Braves. How about the 2022 world champion Memphis Grizzlies? Let's hey, go with that. May not happen. But hey, let's just let's make it a year within the next five years. We'll all be happy. But, but this is be- also the Longview podcast, so I should probably be saying the 2025 NBA champions, Memphis Grizzlies, just like have years and years of predicting it to happen, and then boom, it happens. I I think I could, I could become pretty legendary off that. But Sean, you're you're a stats guy, I would say. You you you're a big stats guy, right? Something like that. Yeah, I I, I enjoy a, a good numbers dive or two. So today. Um, from reading um, a post from Jackson Frank on the analyst, there's a uh, he wrote something on the Chicago Bulls and their defense. There is a stat called drip that projects a player's contribution to a team's plus minus per hundred possessions. And Jaron Jackson Jr., a man of so much drip is not in the top 10 of that metric. So is it valid? Like, do we need to question its validity? Like, I, I, I don't know. It's 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 fun to be a stat guy, but they're also, like, I, I love the advancement of stats, and I never want to act like, I mean, you know, let's be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm an older dude sitting here enjoying doing this on a, on a, you know, nearly nightly basis as well myself. But the stats that are out there, I love learning as many as I can. But the thing that I'll say is this, is that at times it also is like, I don't want to question the validity of it, but you're also to the point to where like, I get what these numbers are saying, but it also just film says something different. And he may not be impacting the defense for the Grizzlies like other people are as well due to that drip, you know, stat. But I will say that in terms of what the Grizzlies are looking to do, if you want to look at the positive of things, Jaron is the best that we've got right now in terms of where he was versus where he is now. Jaron is consistently making that defensive impact. It's just harder to track since you don't have counting stats like you do on offense. So I, I think we're sh- this is showing our age gap right here because I was more so talking about Jaron Jackson Jr. because he literally has drip, like his off-court fashion and stuff. Like he's not like if he's not in the top 10 in this drip metric, then it, with all the – pizzazz that he has off the floor with his fashion outfits like i mean we're, we've got to the point where every time he comes to the postgame podium terry davis of uh tri-state he makes jaron stop before he sits down on the podium and so we can take a picture of his fit because he just comes in with fire fits 
Uh, I'm pretty cool with the guy that runs the League Fits Slam fashion Instagram account. And he posts Jaron a lot. He's a big fan of his work with the fashion stuff. So I was more talking about like the off-court drip and that if Jaron Jackson isn't in the top 10 of this, this stat, then the, the validity needs to be in question. Parker, first off, I apologize for my lack of awareness when it comes to modern-day lingo. Second off, it, you have to understand that just literally two months ago, I realized that if somebody is referring to Cap, I was thinking it was either Captain America, my favorite, favorite Marvel superhero, or a cap that I'm wearing. So please <laughs> give me a little bit of wiggle room of understanding here. But yes, when it comes to fashion, I have no fashion sense at all. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a man of fashion. He's also a man who deserves credit for his defense. So we'll just oh, no, he, that. he deserves so much credit for his defense. It's really taking a step up here. But I want to talk about someone else with a whole lot of drip and a whole lot of defensive energy and impact, and that is Mr. Dylan Brooks himself. He is back. He's not – I would say he's back but not 100% back because we haven't gotten the post-game shades interview yet. He, he made a step on Monday night and he brought them to the podium with them, but he said that he has new shades that he just ordered and to stay tuned with that. But I would say he's back. He's, you know, he's been a very consistent scorer so far on the season in a very short sample of three games. He's averaging a little under 20 points on 45% shooting, which if it held, it'd be a career high 46 0.7% three-point shooting. Obviously, that's something that's not as sustainable, but still, you love to see that. And more importantly, three assists. It's pretty awesome. But I think it's a very big deal that Dylan Brooks is back. So, like, Sean, how do you see this with the here and now as far as what is Dylan Brooks's return? How is that going to impact the Grizzlies right now? Is it more with the defensive woes that we've talked about or is it more about um his offensive game and just being another big wing that can create his own shot and just another grizzly player in general that can create at three levels how do you see his return really impacting the grizzlies in the here and now i think that the best way for me to describe that is that for a team that has so much uncertainty and so much inconsistency and has such a wide variance of outcomes when it comes to their offense and defense both parker it's the fact that with dylan brooks you simply know what you're getting and and right now the grizzlies need as many sources of that as they can have with dylan brooks you're going to get the guy who's going to be your second best option at getting you 18 or so or better points per game you're going to get the guy who's going to be the best besides Jot at creating his own shot and on defense obviously the way that i described it i know we've talked about kyle anderson falling off with his individual defense obviously the grizzlies in general but i but i look at it as it is basically a, a priority list of worries when it comes to a defense your number one worry when you come to an NBA defense, how am I going to stop the opposition's biggest usage, most efficient score? And for the Grizzlies without Dylan Brooks, it took a community effort for guys doing what they probably are not the strongest at frequently without Dylan Brooks being in there. Now with Dylan Brooks back, you've got that big worry taken care of with Dylan Brooks. You'd still help out. But players like Kyle Anderson, DeAnthony Melton, Jaron Jackson Jr., they now can focus on the parts of their defense, disruption, um, deflections, steals, turnovers, defensive rebounds. They each can now have an easier time focusing on their specific strengths when it comes to defense. And specifically Kyle Anderson and working with Dylan Brooks can help out others when it comes to assignments, rotations, coverages, things like that. So with Dylan Brooks, it's simply consistency. Is he the is is does he have the most potential uh, uh, besides Jaw on this team? No. Do, is he the most important to the Grizzlies' future besides Jaw on this team? No. But he is the most consistent source of positivity on this team besides Jaw Morant right now, and that's why he's so important to the success right now, but also in the future. Yeah, for sure. And I think that right now for a team that's so young. And they had these up and ups and downs as we've seen so far here in the early season. They need as many floor raisers as possible, you know, because that's something that you lost when you had Jonas Valanciunas is a floor raiser. So on nights where you just don't have it on one side of the ball, you had that consistent source of production, whether for Dylan, that's defensive energy or just 
consistently getting you 15 points a night. That's having another guy doing that, especially, you know, given kind of the variance that we've seen with Jaron Jackson or D'Anthony Melton, uh, Desmond Bain to a little bit of an extent. I think that's that's very important. I, I, I like one thing that you mentioned is you're getting guys back more comfortable where they are supposed to thrive. And I think that's been a very underrated part of discussion when it comes to the team's inconsistencies and defensive woes is a lot of these players had to have role adjustments. Desmond Bain was not a starter last year. D'Anthony Melton was not a starter last year. Jaron Jackson Jr. only played 11 games last year. And you also have an entire new defensive anchor at the five who he's still trying to learn the schemes and stuff. So, I mean, I feel like once he learns the schemes and stuff, his communication on that side of the ball is better. You have Kyle Anderson come off the bench. It's a lot of, a lot of change, a lot of role change. So with Dylan Brooks back, it kind of recalibrates those roles and responsibilities back to what these guys are used to while also giving you another player who six, seven big bodied can defend positions one through four. He can create at three levels and he's shown some signs of being like a secondary or T uh, Sherry playmaker. That that's a good player to get back, especially a starting caliber wing, a consistent source of production. Very good to get back. And I'm just, I'm happy that he's back. And I think, is it going to fix the entire team's woes, especially on the defensive end? I don't think so, but getting him back certainly helps for sure. Yeah. And I think it's all about perspective as well, right? From one perspective, um, the inconsistencies of Jaron Jackson Jr., making it to where you have to default to Dylan being your second best player right now. Um, the fact that he's had offensive struggles, um, you know, you want Desmond Bain to be able to have a full season of what he looked like, you know, before he got the elbow down on him from Larry Nance Jr. You want DeAnthony Melton to look like what he did in, for 25 minutes a game. You want all these other players to be what they've shown flashes of being. But right now it's inconsistent. You're, you're getting those flashes, but you're not getting them every game. But with Dylan, you have a very good idea of what you're getting every game. But here's the big key about it. While you know what you're getting every game from Dylan, don't let it hide the fact that what you are getting every game has consistently improved since the bubble. In the bubble, we talked about bad Dylan versus good Dylan. We talked about the Dylan that could win us games with how good he was scoring versus the Dylan who could add five to eight turnovers basically per game and you know potentially cause us to lose it. But with the Dylan that you're looking at, from the first half of last year into the second half of last year, into the playoffs, and now seeing what level he's consistently playing at coming back from injury, there is a distinct offensive difference. There is a different level of effectiveness for Dylan Brooks now than there was even a year ago. And to me, that is what is so encouraging. Yeah, for sure. And you actually sent me a stat here recently, I want to say Monday night, where coming into Monday night's game, Dylan Brooks over the past 50 games, regular season, so not counting playoffs, 18 and a half points per game, 44% from the field, 37.5% from three, 80% from the free throw line. That those are really good, consistent numbers. Like a 50 game sample, that's that's nothing to kind of budge at. It's not like, oh, this guy's doing this over 12 games. Let's see. Like that's almost an entire season of that sort of production. And I, I want to ask you, because I think before last season, the expectation with Dylan Brooks was that his ideal role is going to be as a sixth or seventh man. He's mm-hmm. probably best fit to be a three and D wing. He shouldn't take on this much play making or creation responsibilities. But do you think over like these past 50 games, postseason included, that he's shown that we might need to readjust our expectations for him and that he is deserving and worthy of handling pretty, a pretty big creation load while taking on a being a full-time NBA starting wing. Do you think he's deserved that right for people to kind of think more highly of him than we might've projected him out to be? Yeah. And, and I think the biggest reason why is not necessarily of what he is right now, but how he continues to improve. You just mentioned those 50-game stats. 
that I discussed. We'll compare those to the first half of last season. In the first half of last season, he averaged 15.9 points on 39% shooting, 32% from three, and he sh- and he had a 48% true shooting percentage. On Over the past 50 games, those stats that you just mentioned, plus the fact he now has a 54% true shooting percentage. So it's not the fact that Dylan is get it at the same volume. It's the fact that he's now is finding more consistent shots. He's able to make more shots, and he's making better decisions on when to take the right shot where. That has been over his past 50 games. But in these past three games, Parker, you're seeing another transformation in Dylan Brooks's approach. And he talked about it in the, in the preseason. Dylan Brooks looked to take away a little bit of emphasis on the mid-range game to be able to get to the rim more and be able to shoot more threes. His shooting percentages so far, when it comes to the percentage of times that he is getting to the rim, he has had a significant uptick over the past three games of getting to the rim more while also supporting it with still shooting five to six threes per game. He's becoming better at getting in with the rest of the modern NBA where it's getting to the rim plus also shooting the three. And you're starting to see also a bit more of a prowess when it comes to getting to the free throw line. So one of the things that I'm getting at is, is that I understand that people may not think that Dylan Brooks could really be a big relevant factor on a potential sustainable winner or contending team. But if the Dylan Brooks that we think of is constantly improving his approach, even though it may not seem like it, that's why I think you need to have faith in Dylan Brooks. I don't know how much more he's going to have to improve, but he is consistently changing his style for the better and the numbers support that he's getting better along the way. And that's why you should have faith in him being a relevant part of the now and the future for the Grizzlies. Yeah, no, I I really agree with that there. And I I was, I'm pulling up the stats now, very short sample. I know, I know, but in three games so far, he's bumped his free, uh, Shots at the rim frequency up from 22% the past two years to 38%. He's cut down his mid-range frequency from 44% to 34%. And then his three-point volume has actually gone down, or volume has gone down a little bit. He's at 28% of his shots for that. But also, too, he's replacing that those frequencies with more shots at the rim. And he still needs to improve from there. He's about like 50, 56%. But, I mean, are you, the stuff that we're seeing with Dylan Brooks right now and how he's getting his shots, would you rather have him focus more on getting to the rim and working on getting those shots and finding those higher quality opportunities? Or would you rather have the contested 20-footers that he was shooting in the 2019-20 season? Like, Yeah, and there may be less threes, but you're seeing there there was a big uptick in catch and shoot improvement in the second half of last year. As you and others mentioned, like Keith Parrish, the ability to where he was one of the best corner three-point shooters last year, and then the 47% so far this year. I know that's not sustainable, but it's continuing the trend of, yeah, while there may be a little bit less volume, there's a lot more improvement in finding the right looks and converting them. And it's not just finding the right looks in general. It's being able to go around different parts of the court and be a more versatile of how resourceful of a three-point shooter he is as well. The resourcefulness is a big reason why Dylan Brooks has improved the, improved the effectiveness of his overall offensive play. No, for sure. And so I now kind of want to turn to a tweet that you had the other night that I'm surprised it didn't really ruffle as many feathers, like, as, as I thought. I don't know what that is, but you said Dylan Brooks is the Grizzlies' second best player right now. In time, that label needs to go to Jaron Jackson Jr., the Grizzlies' second-best talent. But for now, Dylan Brooks is improving offensive game and defensive impact as a source of consistency needed to support John Morant. And I'm like, oh, wow, we're here. And I, I'm, I'm here for it because I'm under the belief that this isn't as much as it says about Jaron Jackson Jr. and where he is in his game because, you know, he's, he's been up and down offensively and stuff, but – what he's provided this year defensively and the fact that he's right now the team's best on-off guy by a landslide because of what he provides defensively, pretty good. Like, 
like that's nothing to slouch at at all, but I think it should also be a testament to just how much Dylan Brooks has grown in his game as a perimeter stopper, as a consistent scorer, and as a smart offensive player. Do you do you think that we need to when when we are really discussing this topic, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's the second best player? Do you think we need to give more credit to Dylan Brooks's improvements rather than Jaron Jackson's shortcomings? I think that's a great way of putting it. And, and I want to make clear the reason why I said he's the second best player on the Grizzlies right now. It goes back to the original point that I had made on a team where you have so much uncertainty and you have such a wide variance of outcomes, you have a lot of inconsistencies. You need as many recent, you need as many sources of consistency as possible. Jaw playing at an all-star all NBA level. We've got that. The Grizzlies trying more threes. We've got that. Dylan Brooks's floor of what he does game in and game out of making a defensive impact on the perimeter and being a much improved source of 15 to 20 points a game, that is something that you could check a box on nearly every single game. So, Parko, I ask you this. Do you have the same faith game in and game out of knowing what you'll get from Jaron Jackson Jr., like I mentioned from Dylan Brooks? Do you feel you can get that game in and game out? Not the specific statistics that I mentioned, but do you feel that you can game in and game out, have confidence in what Jaron Jackson Jr.'s stat line is going to be than what Dylan Brooks is? I'm more confident in that with Dylan Brooks. Yeah. I know at the I know at the fair, very least, he's going to get you about 12 points. Mm-hmm. And you know that no matter how off his offensive game is, he is going to work his tail off all 48 minutes for on the defensive end of the floor. He's going to try to lock up the other team's best player. He's going to bring it, and he just doesn't get in his own head when it comes to that kind of stuff. I think that's very important. He really tries to just power through it and do, and he tries to do what's best for the team. We can, I mean, it's it's not a secret. You can see it with the with Jaron's body language. He's young. He's going to get in his own head still. He's 22 years old. There's some stuff within the ebbs and flows of the game, whether it is a tacky foul call, because I'm going to be completely honest. I, I I know you disagree with this person a lot, but I've got, gotten to agree with Brandon Abraham on the take that Jaron Jackson doesn't get a good whistle. There's some stuff where it's like, all right, so you know like how – do you know how, like, somebody that's good at drawing fouls, like a James Harden or a guy like that, they get the benefit of the doubt on certain calls because, like, oh, he probably got that foul. Like, that's probably a call. I think we see the same thing with habitual foulers where it's like, oh, this contact, kind of iffy, but you know what? He fouls a lot, so it probably was a foul. And – I think Jaron can kind of get in his own own head with that or miss shots or no calls. You can just kind of tell in his body language. But, I mean, when he's locked in, I mean, he's one hell of a player, one of the better two-way big men, young two-way big men in the league. Like, I'm not going to go up and put him in the same conversations like Anthony Davis or uh, Nikola Jokic or Giannis and all, like, those kind of guys. But, I mean, he's very, very good when he is locked in and engaged. But – Kind of sorry to kind of circle all the way back to what you're saying. I, I have that more faith in Dylan Brooks's consistency, mainly because his energy never wavers, regardless couple, of the flow of the game. Yeah, a couple of things that I'll say to that, the benefit of the doubt in a positive way for many players, you know, Jaron has the burden of the doubt in a negative way, because if somebody is doubting whether or not if they're not convinced or if they're they're trying to figure out if a foul occurred or not, with Jaron's reputation, he's burdened with the fact that they're going to fit to give him the foul if it's unsure. And that's why he gets some of those ticky-tack whistles. But the other thing that I'll say is this, is that one thing that you see a lot of times that correlates with consistency, it's a mindset. And what is the number one thing that stands out about Dylan Brooks? You know, not talking about the box score, but what stands out about Dylan Brooks that's so awesome, Parker? How he talks shit. <laughs> and why does and why does he do that? 
because it gets in the other team's head. Because he's confident. He's confident. And also, exactly. too, it rallies his teammates. Like exactly. He's the villain for a reason. That's the point that I'm getting at is, is that the most consistent player on this team by far is Ja Morant. What correlates well with that? His unwavering confidence and aggressiveness. With Dylan Brooks, the reason why he's become more consistent is his confidence and his ability to become more effective in how he does things. What tells me that that's the case? What tells me that he has multiple ways to be the Grizzlies' second-best player on any given night, he doesn't have to score a lot of points to do it. There were many games last year where he had an off shooting night, but he still was a plus 10, plus 12, plus 15 because of his defensive presence. And also because there were times in games where Dylan was the one taking over in the fourth quarter to really get us back into games that improved his impact and improved those plus minus numbers when he was on the court. So that's why I feel that Dylan Brooks right now is the second best player. It's not only the confidence that he has that leads to the consistency, but it's also the fact that he has developed a, a, a you know ability about himself to still remain a positive impact on the game, even if his offense is not where it needs to be. Whereas 15 months ago, if the offense wasn't there, you weren't really sure what type of positive impact Dylan was. You don't know why he's on the court. Now, even if the offense isn't there, you know he can figure out a way to still make a positive impact on the game. For sure. I, I think it's one of those things where he's he's also gotten a better understanding of, you know, if his shot isn't on and the team's winning, he's not going to force anything. Like I'm looking at a game log last year, and he had that – he had in one of the wins over Washington, he had that lockdown defense on Bradley Beal, but he only attempted seven shots. And there's multiple ones where it's like, 13, 9, 12. He's he's not just chunking up shots trying to find out his rhythm. He's like, okay, my shot's not there, or this guy's cooking. I'm going to let him cook. Like, for example, that Atlanta game last year where they just blew him out uh, on the road, and Grayson Allen had like 30 points. He's like, okay, Grayson's cooking. Let me just do my thing defensively, get my shots where I can, just let him cook kind of things. I, I think that's been kind of a cool development. But I, I'm going to ask you a couple long view questions when it comes to Dylan Brooks here. And one's really long view. It kind of goes with a hy- hypothetical. You are a huge fan of asset management. And I must say, so this first one, we can elaborate a little more on. The other two, I kind of want to have like a little rapid fire here. So with Dylan Brooks, with the level of play that he's raised his game up to like not necessarily like I'm not going to throw in like a, a trade Jaron Jackson Jr. thing but do you think he's kind of built himself up to a point where if you're in a, in talks with a team that's trying to trade a star a disgruntled star player or a star player whose fit is not working right now do you think that he's built himself up to a point where if he's surrounded by let's say like a D'Anthony Melton or Brandon Clark or someone like that, a couple draft picks. Do you think he's built himself up to be kind of a centerpiece of a disgruntled star trade package because of not just because of the play that he's raised himself up to be like, he wouldn't be a salary filler is what I'm saying. Do you think he's built himself up to a point where it's like, okay, we're not going to give you Jaron Jackson Jr but they can give you Dylan Brooks and this and a couple of picks. Do you think he's built himself up to that point? Absolutely. And one of the reasons why you could see that being the case is look at the offseason this offseason. When you looked at teams that were interested in Ben Simmons, I made the point that I thought that, you know, in a way, when we heard these rumors about, Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson. We were looking at we were looking at the Sacramento Kings, the Portland Trailblazers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. These were teams that were interested in Ben Simmons for a couple of reasons. Number one, they had the they had the reason to win now. For whatever reason that was, they had the desire to win now. But for all of those teams, they also were looking for a defensive presence that could change the landscape of how good they were defensively. I'm not saying that Dylan Brooks is a Ben Simmons, but I am saying that he is the type of guy 
that easily could be viewed by a team as if we bring this guy in and he's still young enough and uh, provides enough offensive value to where if you have a disgruntled star on one team and you were to offer Dylan Brooks as the centerpiece for that disgruntled star to come to Memphis, that other team that's trading for Dylan Brooks, they could easily view him as perhaps being their third or fourth scoring option on offense, but really being the guy who makes their defense good enough to support their offense to be a, a playoff level team. So I do think that you see these type of two-way wings in high demand because of the fact that they are so important in the playoffs, and we saw how well Dylan Brooks performed in the playoffs. So do I think that he's one of the better centerpieces out there in the league? Probably not. But do I think that if the Grizzlies, who would have to go more with a quantity than quality approach, but if they included Dylan Brooks, yes. I think besides John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., he by far is the most attractive piece that you could go after. Now, I know that this may not have been part of your question, and I'm not advocating this at all, but if Dylan Brooks performs for the rest of the season like he's performing like right now, we're going into the summer in which you're looking at next year him being on an expiring deal of one year and $11 million. If Dylan Brooks continues like he did through this calendar year for the rest of this year, Derek White got four years, $73 million as an extension. Lonzo Ball got four years and $85 million as an extension. You stack Brooks up against either one of those two profiles. I would say that the production of Brooks is right there with those players. You're looking at Brooks, Dylan Brooks, really being in line for a four-year, $80 million-ish some type dollar deal. And if the Grizzlies want to commit that type of deal to Dylan Brooks, now, you know you've got John Morant's extension coming around. Now, you've made two major commitments to your three, or three major commitments to your three most important pieces. You know that likely of that trio, that's not going to get you to where you want to go. You know you're not trading John Morant. If Dylan Brooks plays well enough to where he's convinced the Grizzlies to give him that long-term extension, now I think you talk, start talking about scenarios where Dylan or Jaron could be the centerpiece of a trade. Again, I'm not saying that's how it's going to play out. That's not how we want it to play out. But if this show is called The Long View, let's look at it from many different perspectives. And I think that if Dylan Brooks continues to play this way, it opens up more options that may not seem to make sense right now, but could in the future. Yeah. I mean, I sorry, I wasn't really – I know I wasn't making the Zoom eye contact here, but I was over looking on my monitor. I had to double-check the Marcus Smart extension because he was 4-77. and 77. But I, I think – I think Dylan Brooks is and should be a $20 million player in his next contract. I, I don't think that should really be a debate, to be honest. I think the only person that would debate, debate me on that maybe is Justin Lewis. But I, I think he's kind of built himself up to that point. And, you know, if they extend him, like, it brings up very, very good conversation, very good discussion, very good questions that you mentioned. All good questions, obviously. But it, it makes things very interesting. And I kind of want to – Go. I want to ask you another question here, a little more rapid fire, because it's tough to say without really the numbers in front of your face right now. But would you say that Dylan Brooks is one of the best value deals when it comes to non-rookie contracts in the league based off what he's yeah. making right now and what he provides yes. for you? Yeah. So you're looking at uh, basically two years, $11 million, you know, through the end of the 2022-2023 season. I absolutely think so. And here's a big reason why. I know that people say that DeAnthony Melton is one of the best value deals out there. And I agree with them 110% because of the two-way impact that he can make. But the other thing that stands out about Dylan Brooks that may not stand out about a lot of these younger, intriguing talents, Dylan Brooks has proven the ability to improve and be effective offensively against starting level talents in the NBA. For a lot of these younger players, their impact and their improvement has been against reserves in the NBA. That makes a big difference to me. And because of that, I do feel that Dylan Brooks has certainly turned himself into, yeah, maybe he's someone that's a, you know, sixth or seventh man on a true contender, but he's also someone that you could truly trust to be in your high leverage five in the playoffs as well. And now you trust him to where he's not going to make a lot of boneheaded plays. So yes, I do think he's one of the best value contracts. Now, do I feel that that is going to have a short window? I do, because next summer, when it comes to him being an expiring contract, you're then looking at the next contract. So we probably have a little bit less than a year of this being the case where it's going to be a valuable contract. 
But at the end of the day, right now, yes, Dylan Brooks is a very valuable contract. Don't necessarily know if I'll call it a top 10 non-rookie deal in the NBA, but it's certainly up there when you compare it to other players. Let's put it this way. I'd rather have Dylan Brooks for two years and, and $11 million per than I would Luke Kennard over the next three years at oh, 16. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think a lot of these extensions and stuff that we've seen over the past two years and stuff, Dylan Brooks has to be looking at his agent right now and being like, I could have gotten this, like, but anyway, that also, that also supports the fact that he is not going to shortchange himself on this next contract. And again, like I say, if you're seeing Norman Powell get five years, 90 million, you're seeing Duncan Robinson get five years, 90 million, Lonzo ball getting four years, 85 million. Dylan Brooks is going to stack his last 15 months against those players. And I'm telling you this, Dylan Brooks likely stacks out, stands out as being one of, if not the most valuable that's why he's going to have a good case to earn the contract he's seeking. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong on that. I mean, uh, it, honestly, if you told me to stack Dylan Brooks, Lonzo Ball, and Duncan Robinson up with each other, three of my favorite players in the league, Sean, this podcast would go on for another two hours. I could talk all day about those guys. But I do want to ask you another, like one last question here when it comes to the value of Dylan Brooks. and. Do you think, you know, because there's sometimes where a front office values a player differently than he may be valued league-wide because of what he brings to the table with the intangibles and, you know, infectious energy, uh, his defensive stopping, stuff like that. Do you know, like, Taylor Jenkins has always referred to Dylan Brooks as the spiritual leader on the team. Do you think that the stuff, not only the stuff that we've mentioned the whole time about the numbers, his stats, his, his offensive creation, stuff like that, but just the overall package of Dylan Brooks and how he's their spiritual leader, their main stopper and stuff. Do you think that makes him a little more untouchable than, uh, like others may view him around the league or others that may cover the league because of what he provides from a leadership and intangible standpoint in Memphis. Absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm going to go a little nerd here because last year um, at the beginning of the year, it was a really fun revelation in December or January when we were, when the Grizzlies were off for the COVID Dylan Brooks mentioned that his favorite movie trilogy is the Lord of the Rings. Now, I don't know if you've seen the Lord of the Rings or not, Parker, but if you remember the scene where they lit the beacons from Minas Tirith to, you know, from Gondor all the way to Rohan, they talked about they light the beacons and you saw everybody's persona, their personalities just light up. They got happy because they saw the beacons because support was there. The reason I bring that up is that confidence is contagious. Dylan Brooks is a beacon of confidence for this Grizzlies team. He's the tone setter, as as Coach Jenkins likes to say. And so that can source, we talk about consistency in terms of his numbers, but the other part of it, the other side of the coin, is the consistent source of confidence. If things are down and these guys are sitting here seeing Dylan still playing with high energy, still playing with confidence, that's going to be contagious to Jaron and to DeAnthony Melton and Desmond Bain and things like that. So, yes, for a young team, that's very important to have, especially for a young team that needs to have as much confidence as possible. So to your point, due to that confidence about him and due to that consistent swagger, whatever you want to call it, I do think that's very important. And that's another not talked about enough factor of Dylan Brooks being back in the lineup that I think will allow for this team to consistently play better, even if they do run into times of struggles during stretches of games. So yes, due to the intangible confidence that Dylan Brooks has, I do feel that he's probably a bit more untouchable for the Grizzlies than some around the league may think. I 100% agree. And as somebody who has been on Dylan Brooks Island since he was at Oregon and has really built up Dylan Brooks Island since the 2019-20 season, I love seeing this because this is a lot of the stuff that I've seen from him since he's been in Memphis and I've seen him grow in, in certain areas. It's been really cool to see. But obviously, you know, this is a long view and the NBA is a business as always. So you got to kind of look at stuff from all angles of it, not just his on-court value, but his off-court value as well. I'm going to kind of shift as we're closing the show. We're fifteen ga- about 15 games in. This Clippers hands the 15th game. 
what's been one long view thing that's really stuck out to you so far? The importance of figuring out what Kyle Anderson's role is with this team. And I mentioned that on a, for a couple of different ways. The reason that I say that is because when you look at our front court right now, um, you know, the front court depth is certainly something that is, you know, attractive. It's certainly something that's admirable if you're an outside person looking in. But really when you break down that depth, besides Jaron, which of these players, I'm talking about Steven Adams, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, Kyle Anderson, you know, Zaire Williams, if you want to, which of these players clearly do you trust to be able to add positive impact against other starters around the NBA? It's Kyle Anderson. The fact that Steven Adams has seemed to not be the source of impact we hoped that he could be, the fact that we're getting the inconsistent play and playing time of both Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman, to me, just straightforward, this team has to have some type of positive, reliable veteran source for Jaron Jackson Jr. moving forward. And Kyle Anderson, with his shot, is someone that could be that way. We know the numbers are certainly positive when he's at the four and Jaron's at the five. We know that his shooting in general has improved, and we know that he can execute Taylor Jenkins' plan of planting the four in the corner to be a corner three-point shooting option. So I think that when I what I'm getting at is, is that I know that many, if this season doesn't go the way that they feel it should, that trading Kyle Anderson may make the most sense. But Kyle Anderson on an expiring deal, at the very least, what? Maybe get you what you got for Grayson Allen if a contending team only gets him for a few months. My point that I'm getting at is, is that in many ways, extending Kyle Anderson makes the most sense. You've got the positive source to support Jaron in the front court for the next few years. If you keep him, you've got the two-way wing who can be a facilitator, good shooter, as well as a good part of your defense to support Dylan. And the last thing is, is that even if you do not see him as a long-term plan, if you extend him, he still maintains good value into his early 30s as a guy who could be a money-matching aspect of a trade. So to me, that stands out as a long-term thing for this team. Even if Kyle Anderson may not be a starter, even if you're not convinced, him at you know 13 to 15 million per year makes a lot of sense. I think that it actually does for the Grizzlies in multiple ways, and I would certainly be looking to extend him right now more than I would be trying to trade him at the trade deadline. Because at the very you. least, no, sorry, at the very least, because you've got to you've got to make sure in some way, shape, or form you get significant value out of Kyle Anderson past this year you it, it, the one of the worst things the Grizzlies can do after this season is simply letting Kyle Anderson walk in an unrestricted free agency for nothing I totally understand that I really do and I, I like you brought up the starter stuff I know he's not been off to as high of a start like with the analytics and the advanced numbers I think a lot of it is where, where he is in the lineup you mentioned how he's looked with the starters when Kyle Anderson is on the floor with Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, and, and John Morant. The Grizzlies outscore opponents by 18 points per hundred possessions. I, I do think, and I would honestly love to chat more on this at a later pod, but if they could just do any kind of move to open up more time for one of Kyle Anderson or Brandon Clark to get a lot of minutes with Jaron Jackson Jr. at that 4-5 combo, or the Keith Parrish special of the Anderson at the three, Clark at the four, Jackson at the five, the one that obliterates teams every time they step on the floor together. I'm all for those kind of moves because I think just having as many versatile switchy defenders that could do some stuff on offense, I think that's important. But I think it's a very interesting thing. It's going to be very interesting to monitor, especially as more sample builds. We see more lineup data. Uh, we see what the Grizzlies are in the standings, more importantly. I think it'd be very interesting for sure. And just kind of wrap up. So probably after the new year, I kind of want to do a little like prospect at the pod kind of thing with 2022 guys. Cause you know, it's a long view. You always kind of got to look at this stuff. And also the Grizzlies have three first round draft picks that they or They have three first round picks more than likely in the 2022 draft. They won't use all three more than likely, but it's still tantalizing because it opens up a wide range of outcomes of what they could do. And just real quick, the college basketball season started about a week or two ago. Who's the prospect that you're watching the most when it comes to their potential fit with the Memphis Grizzlies? So this is going to be a Homer answer, but I'm going to make it make sense. You know, I want to say oh, there it is. here it is. Yeah. yeah, it's coming. It's coming. But here's the reason why. 
the thing that everybody knows that my number one prospect that I want badly for the Grizzlies, and I know that he may not be the most ideal fit. I want Jaden Ivey in a Grizzlies uniform. The connection oh, yeah. that he has with the franchise, the connection he has with Jaw. I like Caleb Houston. I like Patrick Baldwin, all those different things. But I do think those prospects are going to be a bit too high in the draft for the Grizzlies to actually land a, a draft uh, pick in that range. And we've had a lot of talk of trades over the past few drafts, but not a lot of actual trades up in the past few drafts. So if you don't land in that top 10, it's going to be hard to get those level of players. The pick that I'm looking at is Tennessee's point guard, Kennedy Chandler. And here's the reason why that is, Parker. I understand that the Grizzlies are about to invest potentially over $200 million in a point guard, in their franchise star. So what sense does it make to get another point guard in the draft? Well, several different reasons. For one, if the Grizzlies land in that late lottery potentially or more than likely where they landed last year, 15, 16, 17, it's going to be hard to find better value than Kennedy Chandler because you're going to have Tyus Jones likely walk in free agency. Kennedy Chandler will come right back in and get that backup point guard position. You now have 48, 45 to 48 minutes of each game where you'll have John Morant or Kennedy Chandler as your point guard. That's a hell of a one-two combination going forward with both of them being under 22 years old. That's one. Number two. You've got four years of that with Kennedy Chandler on a very affordable contract, which is going to be of more importance to a team that now is going to have to start paying Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, perhaps Dylan Brooks. That's number two. And the third thing is, is that if you get those 45 to 48 minutes of good point guard play, not only does it allow for you to elevate the other talents of your team consistently, but Kennedy Chandler being trusted every now and then with 15 to 20 minutes a game or even 25, it keeps your prized possession of John Morant as fresh as possible for him to be able to cook late in the season and into the playoffs. So that is a lot of value from a very cheap source, which is going to be more important to the Grizzlies going forward. I get that he may not be the wing that we're talking about, or he may not be the clear shooting prospect that we always love. But when it comes to where the Grizzlies will um, pick in the draft and the and a pick that can give you multiple areas of value moving forward, I think you're going to find a uh, – it's not going to be easy to find a prospect that you'll have more confidence in giving you significant value than Kennedy Chandler. I freaking love it, to be honest. I loved it. All right. I I freaking like the pick, but I freaking love your enthusiasm for it. I think you can sell anyone on Kennedy Chandler being that guy. But, no, for real, I think getting Kennedy Chandler, what, for one, 901 product, uh, went to Briarcrest, okay. uh, transferred to Sunrise um, his senior year of high school. But he, he's worked out regularly with John Morant. There's a good relationship there. So, I mean, surely the, the culture kind of aspect that the Grizzlies always try to seek when it comes to their picks, it should hit with Kennedy Chandler. But also, too, I mean, good point guard play is going to be very valuable, especially, like, you know, Tyus Jones, unrestricted free agent this upcoming offseason, and just trying to strike value. and Because you don't want to pay, like, let's say, Jaws Supermax is plus $30 million. You don't want to pay – $40 million in point guards that can't really play together. So why not go after a rookie guy who you can trust for 10, 12 minutes to start out. You can ease him in because John Morant shown that he can handle a big workload as well, even in the regular season. I'd be here for it. I would really be here for it. Not only for our Memphis faithful that love seeing a hometown kid come back home, but also for Sean Coleman, a diehard Tennessee guy, to not have just one UT ball player on the team, but also he have Pons, too. Sean, all right, last, absolute last question in the show. What might happen to your heart if Kennedy Chandler threw an alley to Eve Pons in a Memphis Grizzlies game for the Memphis Grizzlies? What would happen to your heart? Like, Do you think like you're – your soul will come out of your body and you're just elevated to the heavens at that point. Like describe it. No, there, it would be an instant gratification of spontaneous combustion into orange and white confetti. That's exactly what would occur. But all joking aside, I will say this. If you want a very good idea, a long view idea 
of what I think a one-two combination of John Morant and Kennedy Chandler could look like towards the middle of this decade on a hopeful contending Memphis Grizzlies team, go look at the usage, the production, and the significance of the Chris Paul campaign combination, another Memphis product, Go look at the one-two combination of them as point guard and backup point guard for the Suns, especially in the playoffs. When campaign was on a very, very affordable contract, that's the type of setup. Again, I'm not saying that John Ranch, Chris Paul, don't get me wrong, but that's the type of setup that I'm looking at from a one-two point guard combination that could play a very big role in a team getting better than expected results earlier than many may have expected. That's the type of relationship and impact that I would love for John Kennedy to make. And I think it would be a huge one for the Grizzlies when they're looking to contend. And another connection where it'd be two Memphis backup point guards like campaign and Kennedy. That'd be pretty cool. Be pretty cool, but John, that's about all the time we have. I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Let the people know where they can find you and your work. Yeah. Um, so my my name's Sean Coleman, uh, um, and uh, you can find my stuff um, at StatsSAC on Twitter. You can find the show at Locked On Grizz. I now have a YouTube channel. Um, you know, I, I Parker. Um, will be gracing, you know, me and the listeners with his presence, you know, on multiple occasions during the season, because we always I just anytime I get to talk to Parker, it's it's wonderful. But uh, you can find the show at Locked on Grizz on YouTube. You can find the show at Locked on Grizz on or Locked on Grizzlies on YouTube, Locked on Grizz on Twitter, myself at Stats SEC. Um, You know, Parker talked about all the different perspectives that we have at Grizzly Bear Blues. I, I take pride in being a guy who really loves to look at things from numerical analysis, stat analysis, things like that showing trends based off numbers. So you could typically find my work in game previews, report cards. And, you know, if I notice a trend that I'm really enjoying, I'll write about it as well over at Grizzly Bear Blues. So all my work at statssc.com on Twitter and through SBN Grizzlies on Twitter and Locked on Grizz on Twitter. And Parker, always a pleasure. Thank you for once again having me. Absolutely. You know, the Longview Locked On podcast collab is always a hit. And y'all make sure y'all, I actually just subscribed to the Locked On Grizzlies YouTube channel, and I always, I usually try to tune into the pods as well. You know, just especially with working from home, everything's virtual with all these calls and stuff. It's it's tough to get in some podcasts, but anytime I can get in a sh- uh, lot on Grizzlies podcasts, I always try to tune in. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. You can read my work as well as Sean's over at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Follow the blog on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. And make sure you are liking, subscribing, and downloading and writing reviews to gas up the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Our wonderful hosts over there. You have Joe Molnax, Justin Lewis, Ben Hogan, Nate Chester, Bryce Hayes. You have P Shark. You got Tev. You got Sky. You got uh, Trevor, a.k.a. the Art of Trevor. Lowercase of because of his position and Sheedy. So yeah, I can't believe I rattled all that off the top of my head, but you won't find that many podcast hosts talking about the Memphis Grizzlies on five different podcasts. So make sure you're checking all that out at the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. And that is it.